The last page has been turned on my most recent read. I have just made my first cup of tea of the day, but to be fair, it is still dark outside. Yes, it's that early on a weekend, and I should probably still be in bed. Anyway, it's another week and another book, and as you know, I like to talk about different genres, and this book is definitely that. In fact, it's completely different to anything I've talked about or read in a good six months or so. I have to be honest, I am not quite sure what genre I would add it to, though I would say get some tissues ready because the book tugs just a little bit on those heartstrings. I have been enjoying a few books this week. First off, there was of course the one I'm going to be talking about today, but I also read a couple for book tours, a few eARCs to hit release dates, and an intriguing novel by a friend. This is a book that was actually recommended to me by multiple people, so if you are one of those, I have to thank you. However, if you haven't read it yet, perhaps this review will persuade you. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion-filled as ever and ready to roll, all of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I take you on a journey through grief as we work our way towards acceptance with Isaac Addy in the debut novel by author Bobby Palmer, Isaac and the Egg. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. admit that while I do have my favourite genres, if there's one thing that I absolutely love about certain books, it's their ability to make me physically sob. Yes, I know that sounds weird, but what's more cathartic after a rough week or an emotional day than crying? Okay, I probably sound like an oddball, but sadness is a really difficult emotion to inspire with the written word. Many people will veer more towards comedy or that beautiful glow of love you only have to look at the number of romance novels that sell on a daily basis to see that people want more than anything. But sadness is powerful and occasionally, truly, I want what I refer to as a cry book. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session. Get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening and your preference, of course. And let's get started. It is early. A young man stands on a bridge and lets out a heart-wrenching scream. From deep in the woods, something screams back. It sounds improbable, but this is how Isaac meets the egg. The two are unlikely companions, but their chance encounter will transform Isaac's life in ways he cannot yet imagine. Maybe he will finally understand why he went there that morning. Maybe he will find a way to tell the truth. Sometimes to get out of the woods, you have to go into them. Isaac Addy is in pain. To say anything less would be doing him a disservice. 
On the very day he is contemplating suicide, feeling alone and as though his world is over, he screams out into the darkness. And the darkness responds. The scream from the woods sounds as though the creature, whatever it is, is in pain. And instinctually, Isaac takes off through the undergrowth to offer help. What he finds basking in an unnatural glow in the middle of the trees is a large egg. Unsure of what could possibly be inside it, perhaps even a dinosaur, he picks it up, takes it back to his car and drives it home. In the warmth, away from the coldness of the woods, the egg unfurls long boneless arms, opens black circular and expressive eyes and on unsteady duck-like feet, it waddles through Isaac's neglected home, eating post that has been abandoned in piles on the floor and going into a kitchen Isaac hasn't entered since the night he received a phone call, letting him know that his wife was dead, killed in an accident less than 15 minutes from their home. Unsure of what this creature is, but somewhat comforted by its almost harmless egg-like appearance, Little by little, Isaac starts to adjust to a life no longer on his own. Though he is resistant to things like speaking with his mother-in-law or letting his sister into the house, he slowly but surely begins to tackle the tasks that he has been avoiding. Like the post piling up around the house and the mess in the kitchen he hasn't been able to face. Of course, he experiences many setbacks, starting with the kitchen, no sooner has he cleared it than he is destroying it, throwing food from the cupboards, smashing plates and cups that his wife so painstakingly collected until they had a full and unique set. As is the way when pain has you in its unyielding grip, he takes two steps forward and another three back. His behaviour is so concerning that his sister arrives at his house with community support officers and he is forced to agree to therapy in order to get them to leave. His moods are erratic and there is mention, though not much is made of it, that he has blackouts and moments of forgetfulness, neither of which are surprising when you consider the trauma he has been through. Though he continues to attend the therapy that his sister is insistent he goes to, it is through his growing bond with the mysterious egg that he begins to change. The journey is a slow and agonising one, but it is though... This creature who appeared in his life when he needed succour is slowly leading him into the light. All the way through, you get brief moments of clarity from Isaac where he questions whether Egg exists or not. He wonders if his new and unusual companion is real or a creation of his imagination. And I have to admit that this is something I started wondering relatively early on in the book. Recovery is slow, there are many setbacks, but there are also so many beautiful bonding moments between Isaac and Egg that make you hope he is indeed real. This strange fusion of reality and fantasy has you both confused and intrigued at the same time, or at least it did me. Having isolated himself from his friends and family, unable to face either while he is struggling with his own overwhelming emotions... The character list in this book is decidedly limited. You get brief glimpses of the other people who have had an important part to play in his life, but their roles in the book are somewhat limited. Though we know that Mary is gone, she is still a very important character in this book, and through Isaac's need to revisit parts of their life together, we get to know her better than anyone else in his present day. 
She was everything that he wasn't. And many of their conversations get a frequent replay as he comes to terms with the fact that she is gone and he needs to continue living. Something that he is so reluctant to do that he buries himself in the reminders of what they had, refusing to clear her office, dispose of her clothes and face the rest of his life head on. Throughout the story, there is this feeling that he has to move on, that there is a reason why he must recover must get out and do all these things that people are forcing him to do. But the reveal isn't until very close to the end, and I feel that you need to discover this for yourselves. I wouldn't say the revelation and the continued source of his pain is a surprise, but at the same time, it did come as a bit of a punch to the gut and explain so much. This book is a very short one in the scheme of things, not even 300 pages in paperback. And while I know that some reviews have said it could have been shorter, I do feel that if it had been, it wouldn't have packed such an emotional punch. Definitely not the sort of book to read when you're sinking in the mire of depression, but a book that has a considerable amount of emotional impact. Of course, if you take everything at surface value, then you may struggle, but suspend disbelief for a moment and you'll enjoy it and cry a few tears at the same time. Quite often when I talk about a book, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, this is a book for you if you enjoyed this. And as you'll discover in a little, that's not quite true when it comes to Isaac and the Egg. I actually didn't start to look for reviews this time until I'd finished the book, though whatever the outcome of my reading ends up being, I don't let the opinions of others sway me. Though I do obviously let them influence me into buying a book in the first place, or this may not have ended up in my Waterstones basket last weekend. But to be fair, it was double points and I was a few pounds from 10 whole points at the time. But as with every week, I do find the reviews of others interesting. Everyone is different because the world would be a dull place if we were all uniform. And this is why I like to read through Goodreads, Amazon and Waterstones to see what people are saying about a book I am fresh from finishing. As always, I like to provide a balanced perspective because I think that when it comes to making a decision about a new book, having views from both ends of the spectrum is important. I'm not saying that you should allow yourself to be swayed by the views of others because you are the person doing the reading after all, but sometimes they can help you determine whether now is the right time to be reading something, especially if there are sensitive topics involved. Anna didn't hold back on the scathing remarks when she gave the book one star. She said, Among the stupidest books I've read in a long time. Maybe I'm being harsh and it just wasn't for me. I finished it out of spite. Got slightly better, but cheesy and badly written the entire way through. Great book if it were marketed for eight to ten-year-olds. I mean that in all sincerity, not as an insult. This book made me realise that dumb people can also have their reviews quoted on book covers It's literally the only explanation that makes sense for this one. This book has only just come out in paperback, having originally been released in August 2022. Of course, access was likely given a little earlier, but right now, according to Goodreads, 2,796 ratings 
and 540 written reviews are available. Out of all of those, there are just five written reviews giving the book one star. So not bad. I have to be honest, I had to search for quite a while to find a review on the lower end of the spectrum that was longer than a few words. I think that this is the sort of book you simply don't continue reading if you don't enjoy it. At least that's what I found when reading the other reviews available with lower scores. Overall, the reception has been positive with 76% of all reviews and ratings being four or five stars. And the overall score for the book is 4.11. Not quite as high as last week's book, Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers. But I do think that the genre has a lot to do with the sort of audience the book garners. And cosy crime, including, as it does, authors like Agatha Christie, Richard Osman and M.C. Beaton, seems to attract a very large audience of people who like the idea of crime, but don't want the gore of a truly terrifying thriller. I know that I would definitely classify myself in amongst that particular audience. As I say every single week when it comes to opinions, whether it's for a book, film or a TV programme, every view is very personal to the individual who wrote it. So all of these reviews are completely subjective. When it comes to picking a book for yourself, it's always worth looking at more than one review if you're not sure. Though to be honest, I would probably ask a friend first if you can because everyone's opinion is different and a friend is more likely to share a similar view to you on certain things. Not always, though. Finding a five-star review was much easier. In fact, the first 10 reviews I read when I was looking through the various platforms planning out this episode were all four or five stars, which is very encouraging. Shelley gave the book five stars, and it's easy to see why she loved it. She said... This book was everything. It is sort of a feel-good book, but not completely. It is also a very sad book, but has many funny moments. It is definitely literary fiction, but the plot is divine. This is undeniably a character-driven novel, and Egg and Isaac are characters you'll fall in love with, I guarantee it. This story kept me captivated the entire time and it seamlessly blended the completely heartbreaking story of losing someone you love with the humour of trying to live with and teach an egg. Don't be fooled though, the egg teaches Isaac just as much as Isaac teaches the egg. This book made me cry and filled me with joy in equal measure. Even though it deals with grief, it is also about hope friends, family, and the little things in life that make us happy and matter most. I found it completely filled with love. This is a truly unique take on an old premise and an extraordinary one. What a marvellous debut. When you read other people's views, there is always a lot to consider, because just like your own opinion of anything, the rating they give a book can depend on multiple factors, from how they read it, was it audio, hardback, ebook, to how they were feeling at the time they read. With some books, the emotional state doesn't matter so much. However, with a book that is intended to make you cry or laugh, that mood can make all the difference. Of course, we can't see into the heads of every reviewer who leaves a comment on a website, so we have to take each review written with a pinch of salt. Anyway, 
Now I've told you what other people's views were, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Isaac and the Egg by Bobby Palmer. Completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? Being completely honest here, because I've already said I would be, I had seen this book multiple times when wandering through Waterstones and even checking out online sites like Amazon, but it just wasn't talking to me. The title sounded like it belonged to a children's book and the cover didn't say anything different. I know, I, I, I said it so many times, I shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but sometimes when I'm searching for a book to read, that's the first thing I look for. And then I read the blurb on the back or the inside cover. Anyway, this cover wasn't talking to me. I hadn't heard anything about the book that made me think it was going to be in my wheelhouse, whatever that happens to be. So I just left it sitting there on the bookshelf and picked up something else. And this happened many times. Then last week I was in a chat room and someone mentioned the book. I still wasn't buying into it, but when I decided to buy some books at the end of the Waterstones Double Point Easter sale, the book came up on the recommended for you bit as I was considering checking out. I looked at it again, finally read the blurb and thought, maybe I should give this a go. When the book arrived, it looked exactly as I remember the hardcover looking, the three bands of bright colour. But then I noticed the texture and the simplicity of it made me reconsider my original, nope, not for me, views. So I picked it up and I started to read. Isaac Addy is a complex character. His pain almost rolls off him and off the page. Part of me was actually anticipating tears from the very start, which I will acknowledge is a strange thing to say, but it's the truth and I always aim to be honest. Having built something of a protective shell about himself to not let anyone in, while all the while almost soaking in his pain, Isaac is not a person it's easy to get to know. But if you have known grief and understand how all-consuming it can be, to the cost of everything else. It's difficult to function, to focus, to get involved in anything that isn't allowing for the pain that surrounds you. Once Isaac lets us into his world, we understand that what he is feeling is because he lost his wife, Mary. She was his partner in all things, and without her, he can't seem to function. He is considering, no, make that on the verge of suicide, when he encounters the egg. And I love the way that Palmer describes this meeting. As is mentioned a few times throughout the book, it has a very E.T. feel to it. It is an egg. The egg sits resplendent in the middle of a clearing, bathed in a heavenly light, which seems to defy the darkness of the night that came before it. In the egg, Isaac finds something to focus on. When it reveals arms that have no bones and small duck-like feet, he realises that it is not really an egg, but a being. And he sets about teaching this alien being to exist on Earth, to cope with the issues that life flings at you. But there are parts of his life that Isaac is keeping away from Egg. In fact, there are parts of his life that Isaac is keeping from everyone, he is avoiding his pregnant sister Joy, who is helping him out with groceries, but can't get him to open up to her. He is avoiding every call from his mother-in-law, refusing to talk to her about anything. 
He wants to hide away from the world and has been doing a very good job of it. Egg is not going to let this continue. Egg makes Isaac start to go outside, start to tackle all the unpleasant tasks he's been putting off, because if he puts them off, then has any of it really happened? In his grief, Isaac has forgotten about the outside world and forgotten what it means to be alive, something a part of him acknowledges Mary would never forgive him for. In my mind, his memory of her telling him that he needs to grow up is the way that the more aware part of his brain, the part that knows life has to go on, is telling him he needs to stop wallowing. I found the depictions of grief in this book both moving and relatable. I was a child when I first realised what grieving was, though at the time I probably couldn't identify it as such. Accepting the loss of someone who made you who you were, an important person you love, is terrifying, but even more terrifying is the knowledge that if you are to move on, you actually need to start letting go. You have to accept that they wouldn't want you to constantly feel this pain. For Isaac, meeting Egg is the moment where he actually acknowledges, though initially doesn't accept, that he has to start living again, because not doing so is causing harm to himself as well as to the people who care for him. They loved Mary too, and he is making it impossible for them to help him and themselves to start to heal. I guess I started to identify with this book all too well by the end, where I sobbed like a baby until I turned the last page. And while Isaac irritated me a bit from time to time, I understood where he was coming from. Egg. I just loved everything about Egg. Was he real? This is something Isaac certainly wondered often enough, even when he was contemplating whether he could eat him, a moment that had me chuckling. Whatever Egg is, E.T., a creation of Isaac's imagination, a hallucination created by a traumatised mind, he is very real to Isaac and the companion he needs. And he's adorable. I won't be rereading this again soon, there are only so many tears I can stand to shed during a single reading session, but it's definitely going to have a place on my bookcase for a long time to come. If you like something whimsical but moving and at times painful, then it's definitely a book I would recommend you pick up. I don't believe, as one reviewer said, it's misery porn, but each to their own, I guess. Will I read anything else by Bobby Palmer? I definitely would pick up something else. However, right at this moment, this is his only book. However, at the back of the paperback version of Isaac and the Egg is a page announcing his next book, Small Hours, which is due for release in the spring of 2024. So only a year to go. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. This is actually really hard because I am not sure I can honestly say I have read anything like this before. There are fantasy elements if you consider Egg to be an alien creature. But at the core, this book is about grief, acceptance and recovery. Ultimately, a book that may make one person experience intense emotion and cry might not have the same effect on someone else. If I look at my list of cry books, I know that there are quite a few romances in there, but they cross multiple genres and include books like If You Could Go Anywhere by Paige Toon, 
To the Moon and Back by Jill Mansell, Circe by Madeline Miller, The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune, and Delicacy, a memoir of Cake and Death by Katie Wicks. I guess it's all about the books that speak to you as well as the mood you're in when you pick them up. I would love to know what your cry books are, not for any reason other than I'm curious. Do you purposely pick them up when you're in need of a cathartic cry? Or do they sit on your shelf and remind you, that made me cry, I'm not picking it up again, but I like it. Luckily, this week was a pretty short one when it comes to work. But it was no less eventful, with a very long day on Friday trying to get last-minute projects finished before shutting down for the weekend. I spent a fair bit of time reading novels, but I also spent some downtime getting reacquainted with my bed. Sometimes there is nothing better than snuggling under the duvet and pretending it's not time to get up and be an adult. The long weekend gave me the opportunity to catch up with family, get some cleaning done and even do a bit of writing, which felt amazing. I also managed to get bits of my balcony tidied, though I am trying not to do so much right now out there as I am waiting to hear when some crucial work is being carried out. I'm hoping it will be before the summer. Then, of course, the final part of my studio was finished with the addition of a new bookcase that not only gives me more space for books, thank God, but also tidies everything up perfectly. This weekend, I am planning on getting some decorative accents sorted, as well as organising my books into better and tidier categories that actually make some sense. Thanks to this additional shelving unit, check out Insta to see how it's looking, I have even more room, and over Easter, I did my best to get some new books to fill the shelves. That having been said, I don't plan on just buying books because I have the room. That way lies a growing TBR that never gets any smaller, and I already have one of those. But as I'm always saying, I am not averse to getting more books to add to my collection. So if there's anything on your TBR that you think I'd love, definitely pass that title on. You can send me an email at beingbookishpod at gmail.com. See, I finally created a new email for the podcast and it only took a year. Or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to check your recommendations out. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Next week is a really special episode as I'm going to be speaking with Paige Toon about her new book, Only Love Can Hurt Like This, which is out on the 25th of April in the US and the 27th of April in the UK. We'll be talking writing, inspiration and her previous novels, all of which you may know already I love. So don't forget to tune in next Monday. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at being bookish pod. Or you can check out my website, 
beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week, as I'm sure you can imagine, and a new book is calling me. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.